0: That grit component is so important to develop and And the younger and earlier on, you can develop that. That just has trickle-down effects to all aspects of your life. and in and, and that quality and characteristic is is going to be easily transferable to any industry, any domain, any job that I think anybody has. Um, and and there's an entire book like written um, about this, right? There's a book called Grit, by Angela Duckworth, pretty famous author. but uh, yeah, you know, you know, going through it and, and doing it again and then learning that um, really, I think, changed the course of my life. And in some ways, even just having had the experience of running a business and like, you know, recruiting uh, employees and having customers and, you know, dealing with the problems that came up um, really changed my view on um, how the world works.
1: Welcome to the Edge of Excellence podcast. This show is for current and aspiring leaders that are dedicated to showing up every day in their lives with excellence.
2: Thank you for listening to the show and I hate to keep having to say this but now's the time to hit that subscribe button. We've got lots of good shows and this is no exception. Today we have Dr. Adnan Hussein, Medical Director, Emergency Department Chair, COVID Response Lead, ER Doc, award-winning writer, two-time entrepreneur. Excellence involves greatness and Dr. Hussein is great at many things. He's gonna talk about his lifelong strategy to achieve. He's gonna talk about how he focused all his life on building a toolkit to use later in life. He's gonna talk about running a stupid painting company in college and how that helped him develop grit and how he learned how to fail well. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence. Adnan Hussein, it's been 15 years to the day since I last saw you. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking time away from your award-winning career as a writer, your entrepreneurial career, and of course, your emergency department chair role as a doctor in Joliet, Illinois. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. Wait a second there, you pause for a second. Did, did I miss something in the introduction? You've got so many titles, and this is this is one person whose resume can be five pages long. I tell everybody on the show, resume's gotta be one page long, unless you've had internships with the Department of Human Services, and you're the co-founder of a company, and you've been an attending physician and an interim chief medical officer and a department chair, then you can have a long resume. But did I miss anything?
0: No, I think I think that's perfect. But my, my primary identity is that of an emergency physician. And then I've been fortunate to have taken on a few uh, administrative roles, as you mentioned.
2: Your primary role is as a dog dad and a husband. So you'll get used to that. Adnan is somewhat recently married and has not yet graduated to having kids. So he's taking the hard way. And he is a dog dad. So thank you for taking time away from walking and scooping. Welcome to the show. I'm going to start off the way I always start off. What is your definition of excellence? It's going to be interesting because you've been excellent at a lot of things. What's your definition of excellence?
0: Yeah, I think the, the operative word um, there is, is, is some sense of greatness and, and that can manifest in a lot of ways, whether it's academic achievements or leadership or building organizations or an industry. But Um, I think the the sense of greatness is an important component, which uh, would be infused through all of those.
2: So uh, you mentioned uh, achievement and leadership. So you've done a lot of things and we can say you've been pretty excellent as a college student, pretty excellent in different roles that you've had in internships, pretty excellent in different roles you've had as full-time jobs. Do they I mean, I saw your list of over 20 awards. Do they? Do you have to have achievement, like some sort of award or recognition? Do you have to be in a leadership role to fulfill your definition of excellence?
0: Um, I think you know, while while awards and trophies can be nice, I I don't think that that is a necessary requirement. Again, the sense of greatness as it pertains to excellence, I think for. Many people end up being very individualized. You know, for for some folks, it might be um, the way that they give back to their community, for example, or for others, it might be something which is much more measurable or objective, such as uh, a a GPA, right, or hitting a revenue number. And so I think the the more that you can have, especially as at least as a college student, you know, concrete examples, that can be helpful. But I, I don't think that it's a requirement.
2: Yeah, so the measurement of greatness is subjective. I know a monk named Daniel Gupton, who is a great monk. I don't think he's gotten quite any awards for it. He is a leader of monks, but maybe as you achieve that greatness, people tend to follow. And maybe some of the reason you've uh, had all these leadership roles is because people see that you're in that greatness excellence category and they want to follow. But I'm adding to your definition Yours is some sort of greatness, and your greatness began early, so I'd like to get right to it. We're going to talk about what you do. We're going to talk about the difference between being an administrator in the medical profession and being a doctor and maybe being being both, because that's what you are. We're going to talk about your path and how you got there and some of the choices you made. Let's go way, way, way back, way back to high school. Uh, What was life like? And I know I met you way back in time, 15 and 16 years ago, and I and it's been a long time, but I think you told me this was the job you wanted way back when, and if you told me way back when, you probably knew in high school, but what was life like? Where did you see yourself? And how did you find your path in high school?
0: Yeah, so um, a bit of background, I uh, grew up and I've got a twin brother in a south suburb of Chicagoland. Um, I grew up as the child of immigrants, my family is from Pakistan, and so I think that kind of comes with its own host of uh, cultural cues. But, you know, the the messaging from my parents to my brother and I was, you know, do well in school and uh, everything else will work itself out. And so, you know, we, we were very high performers from an academic standpoint in high school. And um, as I was um, looking at schools, you know, I ended up attending an institution in which uh, I was fortunate enough to get a full tuition scholarship. And I was in um, one of these guaranteed medical programs where I was uh, accepted into medical school out of high school. And so it was, uh, you know, from my standpoint, a really great deal because, you know, I was into med school, I know it was free. And so that is sort of um, what led me to the undergrad institution that I ended up going to. uh, But I had a a physician mentor who um, was the father of one of my friends, and I kind of asked, hey, do you have any advice for me? And what this uh, doctor told me was, you know, now that you're into medical school somewhere, it kind of takes the pressure off. Because sometimes people feel a lot of heat to have to do things like research or volunteer work. And if you want to do that, certainly you can. But you can kind of do whatever you want. And if I could have received any training outside of science or medicine, um it really would be in business because nowadays you need to have a head for that as a physician, and they don't really teach it to you with with the route of training. And so fast forward to my freshman year of college, I essentially got recruited to do college works. And you know my mentality at the time, uh, so I still remember thinking, you know, I'm not a business guy. I've never run a business. Um, I had never even mowed a lawn, right? My parents were telling me just do well in school. How, how can I run a, a house painting business? And you know, I guess my my thoughts follow that were even if I am really terrible at this, if I learn something, it might help me later on down the line if I'm running a medical practice or something. And that's kind of um, what led me into college works.
2: Wow. So I've heard of people getting into UCLA gymnastics as freshmen. I've heard of people getting into some sort of prestigious soccer program as freshmen. I didn't know you could get into college and medical school at the same time. So let's just back up a little bit. Not many people that listen to the show are in high school, but just in case, how do you get into medical school and college at the same time out of high school?
0: Yeah. So there's, um, at least a handful of joint admissions programs um, throughout the country. And I, I attended one in St. Louis and actually my twin brother attended one also in, in Washington, D.C. Um, but the, the appeals are at some level pretty self-evident, right? You have um, some kind of a guarantee or sort of bird in the hand kind of uh, you know mentality. But what I think is most helpful is that it can open up opportunities to explore in a way that otherwise might not be um, possible or that uh, a college student might not otherwise feel the freedom to do that. And so that, that I think was the biggest uh, opportunity there.
2: Okay. So you're, you're young, you're in high school, your parents are kind of letting you know that there's a path for you and you take the path and you run for it and you must've done really well. You must've been really excellent in high school as far as just well-rounded and great grades to get into the school and get into the medical school. We all know how hard it is to get into medical school. And so you're still following that path. You're in college, you've got this great mentor that says, go figure out business. So let's talk for a second. We'll come back to the college work stuff. Um, As a medical director, as an emergency department chair, What's the difference in what you do every day compared to just being an ER? And I say just being an ER doc. And my grandfather was a doctor and my father-in-law is a doctor. If if my grandfather's listening from above right now, he would have whacked me for saying just. Um, What's the difference between being a doctor as your sole role, a doctor, a a, a husband, a community person, and then being also the department chair or the medical director?
0: Yeah, the administrative role is 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 sort of an awesomely humongous responsibility because you end up taking ownership over all aspects of um, care in in my case in the emergency department. and that includes domains of quality operations, um recruitment of physicians and advanced practice providers, um, the finances, as well as maintaining relationships, right within our own department and the many different roles, such as nursing and um, techs and respiratory therapists, for example, but also across the hospital, both with administrators and um, other medical staff members and other specialists.
2: Okay. So you're in college, you're already headed to be a doctor. You decide, Hey, I'm going to figure this business stuff out too. Obviously it came in handy because running operations is different than um, working with patients, running finance, although it's a science, is different than medical finance. Recruiting takes a whole different skill. Sales, that's, that's a sales skill. So, your practice paid off. Tell us a little bit about what you got out of College Works. I mean, College Works is an internship not available to everybody. You run a business, it's one of the toughest internships that you can do. You're going off to medical school and you decide to pick the hardest thing that you can do. What would you get out of your manager year and how is your district manager year different?
0: Yeah. So man, uh, college works was, was the toughest thing I had ever done, um, until I did medical school. And there's a lot of, I think life lessons learned, but maybe amongst the, the greatest is really the development of grit. Right. So even, um, starting out cold calling, it, it builds thick skin. And nowadays in society, and even as a high, you know, I was a hardworking kid and. You know high academic achievements, but I had not had a lot of experience of failing and learning how to fail. And so one thing which was a takeaway was um, this notion of learning how to fail well or when being turned down when um, being declined, you know when, when not closing a deal, learning um, you know what to do next and how to get better but 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 not getting down. and while you know when I say it out loud, it also seems self-evident at this point. That's maybe not how it felt uh, at the time. It, it, and it was the first, I think, time in my life that I felt like I was really struggling. It, it, and even when I think about something like learning how to do sales, uh, it took me a long time to, to learn how to close a, a deal. And I really uh, underestimated the amount of skill that it takes to, to do something like that.
2: Learning how to fail well. That's a good concept. And I haven't heard that concept before. And we should pause on there because many people listening have never had a big failure, right? Your life's cush. Mom's cutting the crust off your bread, ironing your underwear. You go to school, they're guiding you to these grades. You know, the coaches want to make sure you do so well in sports. And there's not a lot of failure. Now, there are some people that have, to, have had to deal with some serious stuff, especially during COVID. And I know you're a world COVID expert with your focus on running the department, but learning how to fail. Well, the first time you failed, you didn't fail. Well, did you? No, it
0: it feels pretty bad.
2: Yeah. Angry at the person, maybe cried a little bit. I, I think I might've cried, but you realize you have to pick yourself up and dust yourself off and you don't know how to pick yourself up and dust yourself off until you've done it. Right. So how did all that failure in college, running a painting company, help you get prepared for these big jobs you've had?
0: Yeah, you know, I think th- that grit component is so important to develop. And and the younger and earlier on, you can develop that. That just has trickle down effects to all aspects of your life. And, and, and that quality and characteristic is, is gonna be easily transferable to any industry, any domain, any job that I think anybody has. Um, and, and there's an entire books like, written um, about this, right? There's a book called Grit, uh, Angela Duckworth, pretty famous author, but uh, yeah, you, you know, going through it and, and, and doing it again, and, and then learning that um, really, I think, changed the course of my life. And, and in some ways, even just having had the experience of running a business and like, you know, recruiting, uh, employees and having customers, and you know, dealing with the problems that came up, um, really changed my view on um, how the world works.
2: What percentage of grit is hope? Like you fail, you feel like it's you know everything's lost, but because you've done it, failed so many times, and maybe failed bigger or dealt with bigger problems or similar problems, how does hope fit into grit for you?
0: Yeah. So I, it's sort of funny. I think I. I can I cannot separate out my medical hat at this point because I've been doing that training for so long. But it makes me think of when we learn psychiatric assessments, the importance of um, of hope, and then on the opposite end of the spectrum, hopelessness. And uh, specifically as it pertains to my job as an emergency physician, um, you know, I see patients in the emergency department that come in with thoughts of uh, suicide, and when people are hopeless. That is considered a, a much much higher risk for suicide completion compared to otherwise. And so, you know, while I might not have a number or a percentage for the importance of of hope, you know, being able to see the light and um, knowing that things can and will get better and that you can overcome it, and having that um, you know resilience is is going to be an extremely critical portion of building grit and being able to overcome adversity.
2: my son uh, uh, had a business with a friend of mine and he was selling clothing. And my friend was CEO of these clothing companies. And so my son was taking all, he had kept one of everything from these companies he'd worked at. And my son was liquidating it. some of them were thousand dollar pairs of shoes and some of them were old sweaters. And so he had all these sweaters and shoes he was selling and the shoes sold, the sweaters didn't. But his whole essay for getting into college was of his failure. Right. And he had that huge failure and that got him into really good colleges because they knew that he had that grit, because when you have that failure, sometimes you don't get through. I do want to pause for one second. If anybody listening is having a hard time with their hope and is feeling hopelessness, you should go to a doctor. You should talk to people. If you've gotten to that point where it's getting extreme and you're thinking suicidal thoughts, you need to call the suicide hotline or 911. And it's 800-273-8255. Again, 800-273-8255. And I got to pause to do that, Adnan, because a lot of high achieving people have those emotional waves. And with COVID, a lot of of people have maybe lost some of that hope. So we always gotta pause and recognize that there are people struggling in the world. and, And I'm always here to help too. So you could call me, you could call Adnan, but please call 911 if you're in any desperate situation. We're gonna move back to your life, Adnan. So you're in college, you're doing well, you decide to go do this crazy internship. And then you're down in Mexico, we're hanging out, you're telling me about your dreams to be a doctor and you come back as a district manager, which in this in this case, you're working with other interns, you're training other interns, you went from 6 employees to 60 employees. How did that experience help you later on in life with your medical career and your leadership career and what was different about the DM job than the manager job?
0: You know, when I think back to those years, my my manager year, I was constantly Trying to think how do I become better? How do I um, be better and achieve more and learn these skills? And then um, moving into the district manager year, it, it completely flipped where I was always thinking of, you know, w- what makes person A tick versus person B? Because motivations of individuals are so, you know, diverse. And I think understanding those individual motivations is what then Um, Sort of informed how to coach and lead those people to um, run their own businesses and and run their teams. And so I found the experience to be pretty different in, in those two years.
1: Are you enjoying the show thus far? We go through so many resources and links with this podcast, it's tough to keep up. I get it. That's why Matt and the rest of the team put together the Edge of Excellence Bundle. In it, you'll find different tools that relate to overarching themes and topics of the show. Things like disc assessment tools, time management strategies and tactics, stress and anxiety management tools, exclusive videos and episodes from this podcast that is not released anywhere else, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of the show, you can access the Edge of Excellence bundle 100% for free of charge. That's right. For simply being awesome and tuning in, to get access, all you have to do is go to www.collegeworks.com/podcast and fill out the short form there for us to get the bundle over to you. Once again, it's www.collegeworks.com/podcast. Now, back to the show.
2: And so now you're you're dealing with different types of uh employees in your leadership and administration role? And you mentioned some of them. I mean, there's such a diverse group of people. You've got all the techs, you've got all the nurses, you've got other administrators, and you're also dealing with different uh, sorts of patients. So that skill of reading people, managing them for seven months translates directly into that?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, my job in in all the different facets, as you mentioned, is all Human relationships and interactions. and um, in particular, from a clinical standpoint, you know the interactions of an emergency physician with patients are uh, pretty limited in time. And for the most part, every patient that I see is a is a new relationship which is being established. And so while you have your usual medical questions that you ask, a lot of the important things are um, reading the room, right? kind of trying to understand or get a sense of, who the individual is, what their support system might be, and um, a lot of the kind of more nebulous components of, of a person's life um, besides the actual scientific or, or medical questions.
2: Yeah, so not not everybody should do sales, but man, you learn a lot from sales.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I, I think, again, those skills are broadly transferable to many fields. And, and, and certainly, I I have uh, benefited from that in, 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 being
2: a physician. Well, I, and I really appreciate you sharing it. I want to go back to some of the other internships you did. Not everybody could do college works, but if you're in a different state, there are things you can do to develop leadership skills, whatever your career are. There's vector marketing. There's going to Alaska and working on a fishing boat, which may not develop leadership skills, but you gotta know how to work hard to rise up like, Adnan has, but let's look at some of the other internships you did. You worked for the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. You also worked for the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services Innovation Center. Tell us about those and how that prepared you for what you're doing now, and why you would take four internships on your way to ten extra years of school.
0: Yeah, so uh, I'll take even a a brief step back to say, so that was the first two years of college, um, doing college works, and then um, I think at the end of it. I had a little bit of an internal crisis of you know do I do want do I want to do medicine do I want to try to be a full time entrepreneur um, what do I want to do with my life and sort of had a great pause um, but I, I realized in that healthcare is an industry and um, you, know, you can be an entrepreneur in healthcare let's say and you, know, you can be a leader in healthcare but I, I did not have. Uh, mentors or examples of, let's say, physicians that were doing those kinds of things in in St. Louis where I was at that time. And so uh, the motivation, I think, shifted to um, go to a place where I could create my own opportunities or maybe be around that. And as I mentioned, I've got a twin brother who actually was in um, a similar kind of combined medical program in Washington, D.C. And I had this idea in my head, like, if I can get to D.C., you know, it's obviously our nation's capital, but it's this crazy place where there's lots of opportunities because you're just physically present where a lot of uh, things are happening in our country. And so um ended up applying to medical school the regular way and uh, got into medical school in DC, and that's what landed me there. My, my school had a health policy track program. So you, you learn the usual uh, MD curriculum, but there's a structured series of lectures on health policy as well as experiences. And I was really quite fortunate, I think, actually to get in as an intern for the, at first the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and later the Medicare Innovation Center, because I had the opportunity to then work with a team of physicians that were uh, really working to restructure healthcare in our country. And it's interesting to me because being a physician at the bedside, you're helping patients one by one. Um, and then there's various scales of um, change. And at the level of the federal government, um, while it's slower and it's not as tangible as helping the patient in front of you, the scale is tremendous. Right? It's the entire population of uh, of the U.S. And so it has tremendous impact, um, even though on a day-to-day basis, it might not be quite as tangible. And, and that was really exciting. Um, even to sort of be involved in the in the capacity of an intern. And I think informed, um, you know, me wanting to be involved in systems of care in addition to helping uh, individual patients.
2: So you you have a constant search and probably still a constant search for interesting and challenging steps. So you're a young guy, nobody can see you. I can see you look exactly the same as you looked 15 years ago. But you keep taking these interesting and challenging steps. And in your case, you knew what you wanted to do all your life. In my case, I wanted to do something completely different. In the listener right now, maybe they think they know what they want to do. Maybe you're driving your car right now and you're listening on 1.5 speed because my voice sounds better on 1.5 speed. And you're thinking, I know what I want to do. Or maybe you think you know what you want to do. So Adnan is is a little bit different than most. He had a path all his life. He's still on it. Most people don't. But the ones that become excellent have a constant search for interesting and challenging steps. So you have your end in mind. It doesn't have to be the end. It could be the wrong end in mind, but you keep taking the harder step. And then you have a strategy. And if we listen to what you just said, there was a strategy all along. I'm going to get into medical school and college at the same time. So I could do something else to build myself up so I can be a leader and I can be excellent. I'm going to go to DC. I'm going to be subjected to all this stuff. I got to get to DC. I got to get that experience so I could be a leader and I could be excellent. What's next for you after this? I mean, you've, you've already done so much. Where are you headed? What's what's your new end in mind?
0: Yeah. uh, So I received the feedback often throughout my life that uh, I guess I, I was very ambitious, but um, I, I think trying to balance like how to continue to push yourself and, and achieve more with also being grateful for what you have is, it, it's always a, it's a balance, right? And I think right now t- to that point, I feel incredibly grateful, right? I think I've gone through, I finished with my at least formal medical training and have you know the opportunity to lead, um, within my hospital and health system. But you know, to, to your point, I think there's always more skills to be learned and, and more that can be done. And so oftentimes, I think what goes through my head are, are, are maybe a few things. One is, how do I build the toolkit, which is needed to succeed? Another is, what are the opportunities to add value to an organization or to build an organization? Um, or um, to create a new one, and, and create a new company. And you know, right now, after having had a series of experiences and having had the opportunity to lead the COVID response in my hospital and lots of other new challenges uh, in the last year and a half with with the pandemic, um, I, th- I think I'm finding myself um, going through that exercise again. And um, I would say more to come. What we'll see. More to come, and and so
2: it's interesting. You have a strategy and you've got a plan, and it's consistently how do I build my tool chest? And you don't have to get the right tool chest, you just have to build a tool chest. You didn't have to go to DC, you could have gone to Singapore. You didn't have to go to Singapore, you could have gone to South Central Los Angeles. There's a lot of places, but you picked one and you you're moving forward, and then the other thing you said that uh isn't always thought about. And I ask it a lot. I just did a bunch of interviews for people that were getting promoted in one of our businesses. And I say, you know, why? And they always talk about why for them. And I had this guy, John DeJulius on here. He wants to hear when he hires people, what's in it for the company. So you said, how do I add value? And one of the ways people can add value is making themselves more valuable. Read a book, listen to a podcast, take a class, get a new experience, get a new job. As you're going through your twenties, you should be thinking, how do I add to my tool chest? How do I add value? And some of it might just be hobbies. You can go mountain biking. You're gonna be stronger. You're gonna live longer. That's not adding to your, well, it helps you mentally. You can read books, but you're constantly trying to improve in your And I don't believe you, by the way, I know you have like 19 ideas in your head of what's next. You do, don't you?
0: I've got a couple ideas.
2: (laughs) I bet you one of them involves going back to DC at one of these days with a big role. I bet you one of them does. And I bet you, we'll see you there. Well, how is where you are now? And, and I, and I get what you're saying. You got to be grateful and ambitious. And sometimes you're ambitious and you're sitting there going, well, I should stop for a second. I'm doing a little bit better than I thought. I should be grateful. And then you catch yourself and say, well, wait a second. I need to be ambitious. I can't let go. Um, but how does, uh, where you are now, How has it surprised you?
0: Well, um, I'd say a few things. Um, One, maybe I'll pivot into away from my department and just having had the opportunity to lead the COVID response. March 2020 was a very, very turbulent time, right, in the entire world, not even just in my hospital. But as things were changing very, very rapidly, it became apparent that there was an opportunity for me to add value again locally. And part of it, I think, is it w- was actually that I'm a younger physician. Um, because things that became really paramount to be able to lead a COVID response, um, things that might be taken for granted for from a, you know, like let's say a 20-year-old college student, right? But like ability to leverage technology, um, to synthesize information and rapidly changing data really quickly. And then to to really skinny that down into very brief summaries. Um, those are things that I started doing at the department level, daily, and at some point, this was you know noticed by the hospital leaders, and that turned into an opportunity to um, lead the the COVID response in my hospital. and I'm part of a, a fairly large health system in the Chicagoland area, and. Um, you know, healthcare is 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 incredibly complex. It's it's very it's a big industry, as as we've already discussed. But some of the changes then got to be implemented across you know the entire region, which had its own level of satisfaction, knowing that you know things that would be done would help patients not only the one in front of me, not only the one in my department or across the hospital, but but potentially across an entire region. And so. Those kinds of things and opportunity to scale in in different ways, um, again, I think are just naturally very exciting.
2: Jeff Gunnis says success is luck. Lucky enough to be prepared when opportunity knocks. And I am got another horrible faux pas. But things go wrong. And some people collapse and some people hide in a corner and some people rise up and some people have stress management skills and some people are outgoing and do as much as they can and other people notice and leverage it. And that's when you get surprised and they say, hey, you're in your 30s. You need to be in charge of all these people in their 70s. Yeah, it's
0: just funny. You know, COVID has caused disruption in every industry. And, and so disruption, I think at face value has... Um, sometimes the negative connotations, but now in the business world and in the startup world, uh, that, that's a very positive connotation, right? And and uh, it's just funny how it can cut different ways, depending which side of the, the coin you're kind of looking at it.
2: Well, 15 years ago this month, I saw you in Cancun. So last time I saw you, and I saw you 16 years ago this month in Cancun too. Uh, well, it's not quite, well, it will be this month by the time this airs. Um, And last year, we had to cancel that trip to everyone's chagrin because of COVID. This year, I pushed it back to November uh, because we're about to have a peak at the end of September in COVID. What can I do as a business leader to help you as a hospital leader with COVID?
0: Yeah, I think uh, a couple public health messaging points. I think the, the first is uh, for anybody who is not vaccinated, vaccination is by far the the greatest thing you can do to protect yourself from um, COVID-19. Prior to vaccination, um, a lot of the strategies fell under the category called um, non-pharmaceutical interventions or NPIs, and those are the things that we know as like social distancing, masking, um, having adequate ventilation, for example, being outside is significantly um, less likely to transmit infection compared to being indoors and kind of having shared air. And then, you know, in the unfortunate circumstance that somebody does get COVID now, um, thankfully, we know way, way more about the disease and we have way more treatments and we've had opportunity to now have time to research this as well. And so, um, you know, early diagnosis and testing and then There's things now such as monoclonal antibodies, which some people might be candidates for, um, in addition to a host of other medicines if if somebody is sicker and requires hospitalization. But um, the the biggest thing, I think, is is, is vaccination. Um, And and then after that, it's the category of the non-pharmaceutical interventions.
2: And this isn't a political show. This is a leadership show. It's about excellence. So for those people that say, wait a second, you can still get COVID if you've been vaccinated. Wait a second. And, and they also say you can get it as much as if you hadn't been vaccinated. So we know that's not true. If you're vaccinated, you're less likely to get COVID. If you're vaccinated, you're less likely to spread it. But for those people, what do you say to them? Because they believe the opposite. Why get vaccinated? I'm gonna get it anyway.
0: Yeah, so um, to your point, that is uh, not true, right? <laughs> If you're vaccinated, You're significantly less likely to get it in the first place, and then if you do get it, it tends to be um, significantly more mild. You know, the statistic which I think I was pretty struck by is that over 99% of deaths due to COVID are in the unvaccinated, and so you have less than a one percent chance, even if you were to get COVID, if you are vaccinated, of of dying. In fact, I mean, it's almost a, a guarantee that you will not die from COVID, and. In in medicine, I mean, people love to make fun of physicians because they never give a straight answer, right? Like, well, they hedge and this, that, the other, but that that is about as high of a guarantee as anything I'm aware of in, in healthcare or medicine.
2: Well, I appreciate you saying that because we got to make our public service announcements whenever we can. And uh, believe me, in a, with, with one of my businesses operating in the Midwest, I've taken a lot of flack and, and heard a lot. So I'm going to make sure everybody listens to that segment. Um, now, back to the show. Uh, <laughs> so you're traveling around, you're uh, on the strategy of greatness, you're doing things all your life that's getting noticed. What sacrifices did you make in your early life? That you'll never regret that helped lead you to where you are today, and then we'll wrap it up, Adnan, and you can go back to celebrating our 15th anniversary uh, today.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Um, yeah, so I think I mean there's a lot of sacrifices along the route. You know, at the level of college and I guess medical school also, these are times um, that are inherently. Um, social. And uh, to to achieve a lot, you have to work a lot. And um, in my case, I guess, to be concrete, that meant um, a lot of nights, evenings, weekends, sometimes, um, you know, overnights and not sleeping even potentially um, to to study and to learn and to make sure that, um, you know, really there's a dedication to um, learning the material which is needed to, again, in my case, become a physician. But you know, for anybody, no matter what industry they're going to be going into, hard work is always going to pay off. And, you know, social wellness and interactions with others is part of overall wellness. But, you know, I think the the culture uh, of, of, of going out and partying in college sometimes can get a little bit uh, distorted. And so just to make sure that the objectives of you know, getting a job or getting into grad school or whatever are still being achieved at the end is is important to make sure that things stay in balance.
2: So that was one of those doctor answers, by the way, Uh, hard work, (laughs) hard work is always part of achievement, but your sacrifices were also strategic, right? So you didn't do all the partying that everybody else did, but you did some you didn't go on every vacation everybody else did. You did some. You had a strategy of balance throughout your life too, I guess.
0: Yeah, that's right. I think, you know, I should say like, yeah, I, I had plenty of fun in college. I was, I was in a fraternity. I got to go on a number of trips. I got to study abroad as well um, in Spain. So that was super cool and um, got to do really actually quite a bit of exploring. But there are certain times that uh, you have to hunker down and it's important just to recognize those so that you get it done.
2: Well, next time I'm in Chicago, I'm looking you up. We're going to get ourselves some jamon.
0: All right. (laughs) That'd be good. I'm going to
2: put that in my calendar, too. I'll let you know. Uh, Well, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, It's really nice to see you again. Love the focus on hard work. Love the strategic path. We needed somebody on the show that has risen up to leadership in the medical profession. And it's a similar path to rising up to leadership in every profession. But I think it's important to point out you're listening today you don't have your your end mind and your end in mind figure a end in mind you don't have a strategy figure a strategy you don't know what tools you need start finding some tools and listen to Adnan he has balance but most college students have too much fun most 20 year olds have too much fun you need to add some of the work back in so you can maintain your balance through the rest of your life. Adnan, thank you so much for making time for coming on the Edge of Excellence. You certainly have crossed over
0: the edge. Thanks, Ben. It was great being here. And again, thanks for having me.
1: I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Edge of Excellence podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when young leaders are willing to step out of their comfort zone and choose to excel in their lives. To learn more about our internship for young and ambitious students, www.oneinternship.com slash podcast to see if it's something that makes sense for you. Once again, it is www.oneinternship.com slash podcast. Let this be a reminder for you to live on the edge of excellence in your business and life. See you next time.